Welcome to another episode of the Benefits Breakdown. I'm Vanessa Longnecker here with my colleagues. It's Jared Mocha with you. Hey, everybody. Adam Compton. Excited to be with you today. We are excited to welcome our special guest of the day, Terry Adams. Terry is our National Director of Analytics, who has a long-standing history with the Hayes Brown & Brown team as a founding partner of our analytics strategy, who's had a few stints in and outside of the organization. Very thankful to have him back on board in recent history and here to tell us all about the latest and greatest in analytics trends. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, This is Terry Adams. Um, I'm glad to be here with you guys and talking about the exciting world of healthcare analytics. I think you figured out all the world's problems, right, Terry? You've solved it. Yep. We're good. Okay, perfect. Let's, Let's dive in. (laughs) We always joke around with our clients how big a data geeks we are. I'm actually very excited to talk data and analytics. So Terry, thank you for joining us. We're glad to have you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thought it might be fun just to kind of have you, Terry, give us a current state of the data and analytics marketplace. What are you seeing, hearing new hot topics, trends that you've been exploring? Yeah, well, Obviously, big data has been around for a while now, and largely uh, that represents, you know, organizations that have kind of dug into these huge underlying sets of data, done deep dives, integrated disparate sets of data and things like that, and built analytics and platforms around that. And kind of the some of the things that are coming more uh, into focus is rather than looking at just that deep dive, deep analytics, let's kind of broaden our scope a little bit and look at opportunities to bring in maybe a wider set of data and integrate it with those silos, Um, you know, non-traditional stuff. So, um, you know, we talk about healthcare data, uh, we can tie in external data from, you know, regional differences and geographic differences and credit scores and, you know, access to, healthy grocery stores versus fast food and and stuff like that. So it's really kind of broadening the scope um, outside of just that kind of singular focus of big data and kind of widening it to kind of help complete that mosaic picture of data and analytics. I always love that one that tied back to credit score, which was the, you know, the old car insurance additive, (laughs) which was, you know, who would thought you could predict a driver by their credit score, but there's those correlative or causal data points that really drive that. Uh, as you're seeing that data expand, it seems like we've kind of taken this big bucket of money that might drive through a medical or pharmacy plan and really expand that to include a lot of different things. Are you seeing that maybe dive into, I don't know, the, the, even the dental marketplace or disability marketplace to really integrate some of those pieces? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, you hit on a good point because with all the data that's available in the world and everything's been kind of digitized uh, to a, a large extent, you can find all sorts of correlations. But as we all know, correlation does not equal causation. Um, so you have to be kind of aware of what you're looking for, when things make sense, when things don't make sense. Um, one of the one of the things that I found interesting is that when you do find those correlations, one feature could be influencing the other or vice versa, but it's also possible that there could be a third element that is influencing both of the two things that you're correlating that's driving both of them. So you have to kind of be 
dynamic and fluid in your approach. Um, and yeah, looking at some of those things like incorporating dental data and integrating it with medical and pharmacy. Do members who do a good job going in for their six month uh, dental checkups, does that translate into generally a healthier, lower claim experience on the medical and pharmacy side. And once again, it could be that correlation versus causation. Um, you know, we see that in medical data as well. Uh, groups that have low chronic disease tend to have high engagement of wellness visits. Well, are the wellness visits influencing the chronic disease prevalence or is the group representative of a healthier underlying population that buys into health and wellness, do, does their wellness checks, they eat healthy, they get exercise, and that leads to, to lower chronic disease. So um, integrating that stuff, looking for those correlations is a huge part of what we do. Um, you just have to be careful and kind of be mindful of how you approach that. I think you hit on an excellent point, right? If you really step back and think about what we're truly saying in this conversation is that analytics are great, correlative relationships and causal effects are great to study, but it is that human element that wraps around the analytic deliverable or engine that is truly what's driving deductive results, right? So, you know, that is near and dear to all of our hearts, Jared, Adam, myself, on a day-to-day -day basis. We are, as Jared mentioned, self-proclaimed data nerds, mm -hmm. but it's not just the access to data and how we mine and, you know, mine that data. It's what we do with the data, how you, in fact, deduct, right, any sort of trend or predictive stretch, right, within the data that suggests you can take action to protect and or engage in new ways. So it is um, a moving and dynamic environment when we're talking about all things health and and uh, wellness or Rx-related data warehousing with, with many different silos coming together, whether it's the work comp or the dental or the disability or the salary or the biometric screenings. I'm certain at some point in the future, it'll also be vaccination status, right? Mm. So all of those pieces drive very interesting conversation and or recommendations, right, at the end of the day on how to design or communicate effectively with a workforce. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the data and the analytics are necessary and they're vital and they're critical to helping kind of drive superior performance. You see it in our industry. You see it in all industries. You see it in, in you know, various sports, basketball, golf, baseball, you name it. Everything has become digitized. Everything's become analytics driven. Um, but the data and the analytics by themselves don't move the needle. It is how we understand and apply what the analytics is telling us that helps us help our clients improve their performance. So Terry, I am a, I, I love to give these examples. I'm, I'm sure my co-hosts get sick of this, but I'm a 500 <laughs> life employer group and I'm trying to decide what I should focus on and how I should focus my analytic capabilities. And I have a decent partner that's helping me to, to find some of this. What are some things that you're seeing this size of employer do and what are they focusing on to really have an impact on their population? Well, I think a big part is kind of understanding, measuring and understanding the risk that is present within that population. Um, you know, when we, when we process data, um, we're looking at, you know, large volumes of medical claims and pharmacy claims and membership data. And, you know, quite frankly, there might be two thirds of that data 
is for members who have less than, you know, $1,500 worth of claims in a given year. And all of that data is present within kind of the scope of what we're looking at. But really, there's nothing within that population that is going to kind of move that performance needle like we're talking about. And what you would probably would find is that you know, for a group size of 500 or whatever the case might be, there's probably if you, if you look at your risk and you stratify your, your population by risk, you can find kind of that, that, that sweet spot where there's 15, 20% of our membership that is driving, you know, 50, 60, 70% of our risk, and then roll up our shirt sleeves, kind of drill into the data through our analytic capabilities and tools um, to get a better understanding of what's going on within that subset of our population that's really the driving force behind our overall spend. I always like to applaud Jared because, I mean, I know how busy he is in the work that he does to then set up 500 live employers and manage that. I mean, congrats on your continued success. I got all kinds of side gigs. You don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we often dive into those, I guess we've used the term influential extremes, and we've got this kind of a few drive a large cost. And Vanessa, you raised a great point on, uh, and I think for our listeners, this reality of if I'm often a high benefit user, I'm likely a high workers comp user, or it could be a high disability user. And that integration of data to realize that, and we had a, a client that actually had a workers comp claim, they weren't able to actually get that all worked out until we actually dealt with some of the benefit situations that were underlying and drove this kind of basic situation into a very large uh, situation. So it sounds like, Terry, the, the challenge or the opportunity for employers might be to use that analytics and maybe bring together people at their organization that might not have been talking before and I'll let them start chatting using their own data points. Right. Yeah. And analytics and and it's every, I mean, you guys know this, every group is different. Every plan is different. The membership within those populations can be completely different. You know, I was, I'm, I'm reading a book um, about basketball analytics. So it's talking about us kind of being data dorks. I'm right there with you guys for sure. So basketball analytics, and there's part of that book talks about how basketball players are evaluated through this lens of analytics and statistics. And you can have two basketball players um, who are the same age, same height. Uh, They both average 12 points a game and they both shoot 40% from the field. They look identical on paper. However, if you, once again, kind of dig into what's underneath, that's where the value lies. And you could see that one player who shoots 40% from the field, on average, their shot attempts are coming from 18 feet with the defender within a two-foot radius of their shot. So they're taking longer shots that are highly contested. The other player shoots 40%, uh, but their average distance is maybe 12 feet with the nearest defender three feet away. So the moral of the story is, while on the surface and on the very surface of analytics, it looks like those are two very similar players. Really, one player is not a good shooter. The other one maybe is a good shooter, but isn't great at taking good shots. So if you can get your hands on that good shooter who isn't taking great shots, put them in positions to take better shots, their percentage is going to go up, their average, their scoring average is going to go up. That then translates through analytics into another three wins per season, which takes you from a non-playoff team to a playoff team. So that's kind of how analytics kind of has propagated through all kinds of different industries and and avenues. I love that we just brought basketball into our benefits breakdown discussion. (laughs) That's a first. So great job, Terry. (laughs) Anytime we can bring sports up is a win in my mind, but we'll do a triple threat. Ready? It's like money ball. Yeah. And then also Freakonomics. If you guys remember the Freakonomics study, it's like, where should you, if you penalty kick, where should you kick the ball? And the answer statistically is right down the middle, even though 
you know, who's going <laughs> to kick it right down the middle for the risk of being being shown. But it's that integration of more than just one data point, all these other factors that, uh, that drive an outcome. Yeah, I think in this industry, it's, you know, again, sports aside or otherwise, it's it's very, very great analogy, right? So, I mean, the reality is every client is looking for a meaningful and impactful way to leverage data to drive results for their organization. And hands down, every day of the week, we have found some very phenomenal trends that drive very phenomenal results, right? When you're changing your communication strategies and or your plan design strategies and or your pricing strategies. So again, pairing that with other techniques, tools, and intensive data around both those that are insured or not insured in a given population by defining your risk pool are very, very important metrics to be studying. Now, at the end of the day, right, it's easy to fall victim regardless of what size or industry you're in as an employer today to fall victim to industry trends, right? What, what's the next big buzzword? Who's knocking on your door? What are you hearing about in the media? The data truly should define, right, that communication strategy and where we'll see the biggest ROI. And sadly, that's where we see a lot of employers right, uh, fall short. They they may adopt a, a latest, greatest trend or new solution or product in the marketplace that, quite frankly, the data doesn't support a sizable ROI around, right? So sadly, they'll fall victim to the productization of certain market solutions. Again, this data and analytics engine as the backbone of how, how we partner with clients really helps mitigate those excess spends, right, and drive the right outcomes when they're engaged. So that's been one we've seen take center stage, obviously, as a growing trend alike with many, many, many solutions out there. What makes sense, right? So you make a good point. And, you know, we talk about where things were in terms of big data, and that naturally led to, you know, organizations being data driven, right? And Nowadays, that is shifting to a slightly more nuanced approach, which is considered decision-driven. So when we got all of our hands on all this big data, we we're like, oh, we can do this and we can do that. And we can look at this and this and the other thing. And naturally, our focus was kind of all over the place because there was all this new realm of all these possibilities in terms of information and analytics. And now what you're seeing is kind of a, a refocusing on what are the decisions that we face as a company and what analytics and data services do we need and information assets do we need to optimize those decisions? So rather than be, you know, kind of distracted by all this scattering of data and information, let's make sure we focus on the decision at hand and what we need to make the best decision we can. No, you're exactly right. It, it actually makes me think of a client example where we use data to help drive some decisions and also benefit differentiators that they have a heavy population in a smaller town. In that town, there's two major hospital systems that are part of that. So we dug into the data. There was a, some very large cost drivers coming out of that. So we were able to look at each hospital system, break down the claims by the hospital system. And then we also looked at outcomes by the hospital system. And there was a clear winner and a loser between the two hospital systems. So it helped our client to uncover that if they made a benefit differentiator to go to one hospital over the other, they would get better outcomes and reduce cost. So to me, that's the so what of the data. How are you seeing analytics evolve to produce more of that so what what are these outcomes? How can we change this for our clients? Because it's great to talk about all these tools and 
awesome analytics and, and things that we can do, but how are we producing so what in the industry to really have an impact on employers? Yeah. And I think it's just making sure, like I said earlier, you kind of focus on the decisions at hand and what dials and levers do you have available to you and what information is required to help you optimize uh, your use of plan design changes and communication strategies and, you know, interventional uh, uh, solutions where you bring in a vendor to provide like, you know, advocacy and, and centers of excellence uh, alternatives and things like that. Um, so it's really, you know, the data is very, very broad. It's very, very deep. And there's lots of different ways you can go with the data and kind of maintaining that discipline to stay focused on what is important, what are the decisions we have to make, what information do we need, and what are, what are those different uh, metrics and data points that are really kind of moving the needle for us as an employer in terms of our cost or the quality of care that, that our uh, members are, are receiving. Is it kind of shifting? I think we talked about, Terry, that kind of claim-centric platform into the member-centric platform for the future. And I think kind of maybe a shift into what does that future look like for data analytics? There's just a ton of things that are shifting this, just this point, and we've uncovered a few of those, but kind of this future of what that data or even machine learning opportunity comes to create a better outcome or action plan. Maybe we can dive into that a bit on, on what that's doing to, uh, to kind of your industry and our industry as we deliver that to clients and kind of what we can expect in the future. Yeah. So I think going back down memory lane, we, um, as an industry, um, have been kind of very claim centric, right? Members engage the healthcare system, uh, be it through a hospital or a doctor or some other provider, and that generates a data trail or a paper trail that of that interaction. Um, what service was provided, um, what condition was being treated, how much the service uh, cost, all that stuff. There's easily available data that we kind of built these analytic platforms around. And we were very, very kind of claim centric. And any of the um, demographic information was a feature of that claim interaction. So what I mean by that is, you know, we have a claim with a data service and a provider and a patient and the condition and the procedure that was done and all that stuff and the cost associated with it. And oh, by the way, um, male age 52. So the demographics or kind of the member was kind of a, a secondary feature to that claim transaction. And another way to kind of pivot and transition would be to be more member centric. And that is let's, let's focus on the people, let's focus on the populations. And really the, those claim transactions that I referenced those are really features of the person and features of the population, not the other way around. So just kind of re-centering re kind of how we look at healthcare data and be more member-centric and less claim-centric and understand. I mean, it gets back to what Vanessa was talking about earlier with kind of integrating these external um, data sources, you know, uh, geographic, regional credit scores, um, you know, all that stuff that all influences, you know, where people live and the access to healthcare they have and access to food that they have and the quality of drinking water and the quality, you know, the air quality where they live. Those are all things that kind of feed into that person and ultimately how and why they might engage the healthcare system, which then generates that the claim transaction. I think we're big on the word behavior, right? If you're surrounded by nine McDonald's and three Wendy's, like, and you don't have any good food around you, you're going to make that behavioral choice. 
Well, <laughs> out here in California, we've got 1,300 vegan options for lunch, and uh, and you can buy something and ride a turtle. I mean, it's really it's an interesting place where ride that behavior. <laughs> you know, so behind me, for those that can't see on our screen here, I do have my turtle, and it's got a little button that says "I dream of data" on it. So there's my geek out for a moment. But to dive back into it, the behavior which we offer the pursuit of the client is what's that member's behavior? And I think Terry, you're hitting right on the head of what that. What, what influences are driving that on a day-to-day basis. Right. Yeah. And you see extreme examples like Flint, Michigan and, and the drinking water, right? It's like there, there are people who live in certain areas where, you know, the quality of drinking water is an issue and it can cause or lead to, to medical issues that, you know, are not good for the person and certainly can be very costly to treat. Um, you know, air quality. These are all things, like I said earlier, everything has become digitized and I, um, I was at a client meeting a few months ago and I was trying to come up with an example of when someone asks us from a data standpoint um, to do something that we just can't do because the data isn't present, right? And I thought, okay, well, an example might be, um, hey, can you guys tell us if there's a correlation uh, between our emergency room utilization and whether it's um, cloudy and rainy outside or it's beautiful and sunny outside? Is there any correlation? Well, we don't have that data, right? That's not part of that claim transaction that we were talking about. And the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? That's probably not a great example because you probably can find historical weather data, license it, integrate it with the rest of our data, and you theoretically could draw some of those correlations that we talked about previously of external environmental weather conditions and how that may influence um, people's moods. Um, If you, you know, live in Minneapolis, like, Vanessa and there's a, <laughs> way there's to a, pick on the Midwest. And there's a there's a snowstorm. Is there a spike in you know uh, uh, snow shoveling related medical issues or people slipping on ice and having hard falls and things like that? So you know all of this stuff is interrelated and, and connected. And we're just like I said earlier, this is kind of a mosaic of analytics and data that we're just trying to kind of piece together uh, to deliver the most value and meaning to our clients. Well, and what's meaningful, right, is, you know, it's shifting from the conversation, as you've mentioned before, Terry, from predictive to prescriptive, right? So that's a perfect example. I mean, ultimately, if there's a snowstorm, yes, we do see an increased ER admission rate of sledding-related accidents and head injury, right? I mean, that happens in the Midwest at a different frequency than it happens in Dallas or California, right? right? So, so what? So what, right? What do we do with that, I absolutely think that technology, digital technology, you know, AI enabled deployments of communication strategies are changing the game on some of these. So what's how do we engage team members in new ways to drive different outcomes when we start to explore these types of trends? And that's fun, right? For us data geeks that we've all self-proclaimed over the years. Um, But that is that's meaningful right in some circumstances, but not in others. So it is a it is an interesting conversation and one that the pages are always turning and, and the data sources are continually evolving and the storyline continues, right, to take on new shapes and forms day in and day out. Right. Yeah. And you and you know, when we talk about data and analytics and what's meaningful and what's kind of G whiz type information, you know, it kind of hits on a broader 
point, which is, you know, every person, like, like I know in talking to people kind of in the industry, without question, we run across clients or prospects or coworkers who at this point maybe are suffering from analytics fatigue a little bit where everyone's talking about data and analytics and they're just, they've had it up to here and they don't want to talk about it anymore because maybe they're, maybe they've been inundated with a lot of that kind of volume of information and data that really hasn't struck a, a note with them in terms of, yeah, I can understand this and see how it can be applied to maybe help solve this problem or help bend our, our trend curve, um, things like that. So, you know, it's, it's making sure, obviously, we need to focus on what's meaningful, what's, what's actionable, and what is actually leading to some of these performance anomalies that we see with some of our clients. Something that's been discussed and talked about is two different terms, machine learning and AI or artificial intelligence. Terry, can you help our audience? Because we have uh, a member of my team here in Dallas who's a doctor in, in physics and very, very bright individual. And when you talk about AI, he gets very upset if it's not true AI versus uh, machine learning. So can you help our audience understand the difference of those two and then how the industry is using maybe each of those? Sure. Well, if he does listen in, he probably will get up, will get upset with how I describe it. Cause I'm sure I'm not going to do it accurately. Um, but basically, you know, both machine learning and artificial intelligence kind of fall into this broader umbrella of data science. Okay. And essentially machine learning is using technology and tools to process at scale, large amounts of data and do a lot of that heavy lifting for us where, um, you know, we talked about trying to identify correlations between different variables within a data set. Well, you could through Excel or some other, you know, software package or platform, go through this iteration of looking at variable A versus variable, variable B, variable A versus variable C, so on and so forth. And then just kind of work your way through all those combinations. Um, machine learning gives you the opportunity to have to basically out offload that, that bandwidth and that processing to the computer software. And machine learning will then not only study or evaluate all those correlations for you, but it can also rank them as the, from the most meaningful to the least meaningful. So really it's just kind of taking this, it's harnessing this analytical horsepower to crunch through large amounts of data that would take an individual a much longer time to do and not do as good of a job at it. Um, so I use a lot of that sort of analysis in my role. Um, artificial intelligence is basically kind of using algorithms that can, given certain inputs, predict what someone is looking for when they're on a website shopping for something or they they need customer service help or something like that. Um, someone can type into a, a chat box that, um, you know, where's my refund? And artificial intelligence sits behind the scenes. It takes that input from the user. It runs it against its database and then comes back with, okay, we think you're interested in the status of your refund. Maybe this information is helpful for you. You know, and it kind of narrows down and kind of automates um, a lot of that kind of routine type stuff uh, that customer service reps, in this case, might, might have to do manually. And obviously, you can go far beyond that as well, but I'm not experienced or well-versed in it. So I don't want to upset your colleague by getting too far, <laughs> walk too far down that plank. No, that was great. Thank you. It's why Amazon knows everything you want to buy, Jared, right? 
not me, my, my wife. Okay. Yeah. You're going to have turtles on your feed when you, when you open it up. <laughs> That's <Adam>. right. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Well, this is really awesome intel. We certainly love catching up with you, Terry, and all the insight you bring to our conversation on a day-to-day basis. Um, at the end of the day, I think what's uber prudent for our listeners is to number one, make sure you have darn good access to data, right? And two, that you are wrapping that around with extreme audit uh, and true you know, consultative guidance that helps you drive outcomes, right? Whether that's in the form of plan design, renewal transactions, stop loss placements, communication or well-being strategy, strategies, the list goes on and on. But for us, right, it's the backbone of how we deliver and test, right, results year in and year out. And certainly we're excited to uh, see how this evolves into the future. So thank you all for listening. We look forward to hearing from our next uh, special guest on our upcoming benefits breakdown and hope you tune in accordingly. Thank you for listening to the benefits breakdown. This episode in combination with our previous episode titled employee benefits compliance updates is eligible for one SHRM credit. The code for SHRM credit is 22PXHXV. That's 22 dash P as in Papa, X as in X-ray, H as in Hotel, X as in X-ray, V as in Victor. This code expires after December 31st of 2022. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And be sure to tune in to our 